Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. Did you know that you can claim CME credits for many of the TMA Practice Well podcast episodes? Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. That's www.texmed.org forward slash CME T-O-G-O to register for your episode and follow the instructions to claim CME. Policies and standards at the Texas Medical Association, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, and the American Medical Association require that speakers and planners for continuing medical education activities disclose any relevant financial relationship they may have with commercial entities whose products, devices, or services may be discussed in the context at the CME activity. The planners and speakers for this program have nothing to disclose. Please be advised that the information and opinions presented as part of this program should not be used or referred to as primary legal sources and does not replace the advice of your healthcare attorney nor should the information and opinions presented as part of this program be construed as establishing medical standards of care for the purposes of litigation, including expert testimony. The standard of care is dependent upon the particular facts and circumstances of each individual case, and no generalization can be made that would apply in all cases. Hello, I'm Beverly Chilton, an associate with TMA's Practice Consulting Services. One of the things I most enjoy is helping physicians with strategic planning. An important part of any practice's plan is to stay accessible to the patient you currently have and be accessible for future patients. Your practice website is a key tool for patient access. I'm excited to host this episode and joining me is Jonathan Sibio with OfficeSite. Jonathan is a specialist in medical practice website strategies and management. Jonathan, thank you for speaking with me today. To get started, I want to talk about common questions we hear from our TMA physician members that are about website best practices and general website content questions. Thanks for having me, Beverly. Definitely great to be here with you. This is certainly in my wheelhouse, and I hope I can give you, your listeners, practical answers that they can start applying in their practices today. Excellent. Let's start with, what are two or three things every practice should do to make their website user-friendly? Yeah, absolutely, Beverly. So this is really going to be a couple areas of focuses on a website. And really the first has to do with how the website works. And we call this mobile responsive technology. Mobile responsive technology is the ability for your website to perform on other devices. So a computer, a cell phone, a tablet. And why that's so important is because a lot of users are accessing your website from a mobile device nowadays. So mobile responsive technology is number one there. Number two, 
is going to be the ease of use and how the website is structured and how people can access certain information. Uh, so whether this be the layout of the website and how it's built uh, or even features on the website and how people can use it. One very important piece on websites nowadays are what we call call to action buttons. And a call to action button is a button that is featured on the website that helps navigate the inside of the website or navigate the website internally. So to get from one page to another easily, uh, and it's easily accessible and easy to see for people to see who are utilizing that service on the website. I'm glad you started with the mobile aspect. What does it mean to be mobile friendly or mobile optimized? And why does this matter? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we'll start with kind of the mobile aspect in terms of mobile responsiveness and mobile friendliness. So a few years ago, mobile friendly technology was the technology that allowed a website to work properly on a cell phone. So it was really the first jump into having your website being accessed, but working properly on a cell phone. So whether that was that you can actually use it, so it fit on the size screen that you were using, um, and people were able to actually find your website on a search engine because it was mobile friendly. Versus nowadays where we have mobile responsive technology, and this has been a very big jump. Mobile responsive technology automatically adheres to the size screen you're on. So whether that be on a cell phone or on a tablet, and nowadays there's so many different types of cell phones, the cell phone screens can even be different sizes. There's technology built inside of a website that'll actually allow the website to recognize the device it's on and then restructure itself to fit properly on that size screen. Um, now on your next question there, what does it mean to be mobile optimized? Optimizations really have to do with two different pieces. Uh, so that's the navigational portion in terms of how the website reformats. So when we say a website is optimized for a mobile device, what we mean by that is how you use it on a mobile device. Nowadays, people just use their fingers to scroll up and down in a screen. You don't necessarily want to move side to side to finish reading a sentence. That's not ideal to work on a mobile device. So in terms of mobile optimization, you want that reformatting to fit perfectly on that mobile device's screen. And it's really for two main reasons. Number one, Google doesn't rank sites as high that are not mobile responsive. So if your website struggles to work on a mobile device, Google recognizes that and they will not rank you as high. And number two is again, ease of access. You want the client experience. So that potential client to be able to use the website as easy as possible. I see. Frequently, I come across practice websites that are just a smaller version of its regular website, and they are very hard to read on my phone, and it can be hard to find what I'm looking for. Now, what type of content and information should be on my medical practice website? Yeah, Beverly, this is a great question and probably one of the most important aspects of what you are looking to deliver in terms of information from your website to a potential client. So most importantly is going to be contact information. How do you find the location? How do you find out how to contact a business? And what you wanna do is portray this information in a structured format that allows the user of the website to find it easily. Most cases, this being in a header on the website, show your office location, show a good email contact for you, a phone number, a fax number, whatever information you need to provide so people can contact you, make it very easily to stand out on the website. Uh, next piece is going to be services. This is why people are actually coming to your website. 
They want to find out what services this practice has to offer. And what you can do with that is two different structures is the traditional style on a menu bar where you have a services page. Or nowadays we have what's called featured services buttons on websites. And when you go to a website, you can see a featured services button, which is something that'll stand out on the screen and it'll actually name the service. And this goes back to our first question where we talked about call to action buttons, where somebody can actually click on that service. And now the website goes right to that full page of that service. So really easy way to navigate the website as well as make your services stand out. Um, one other piece that goes into kind of medical practice websites as a whole can be done in two different ways, which is going to be patient education. People utilize your website as an educational tool to learn a little bit more about the services they're looking for. So patient education integrated into a website is a really important piece on it. And then lastly is content. Are you ever adding new content after you've built your website for the original time? So do you go back and revisit it and add new info? And the best way to do that is by blogging. So whether you're posting a really well-written article that's been published online that you found interesting and you wanted to share with your visitors, or maybe you write your own articles or your own pieces of information that you want to put on the website, blogging is a great way to articulate that content and provide updated information, which by the way, Google loves. Uh, so it does help you on your search engine optimization end as well. What about email? Can my website have a secure email feature for my patients to improve communication and reduce phone calls? Yeah, Beverly, this is really a great way for practices to kind of move into, let's say a less paper system, right? So a paperless type of entry onto the website uh, with the use of secure emails, right? So there's two different kinds of email services. When you start with a website service, you should have different options where you can either do a regular email service or you can do a custom email service and one can be HIPAA compliant. So here's how these work. A regular email service can be custom. So let's say we have the domain name doctor.com and I wanted john at doctor.com. That's a custom email address. It's branded, right? So it matches my domain name of my business. Now on the same end, let's say I'm receiving a secure form or I'm receiving secure information from a client and I need that to be HIPAA compliant. You can also go in and create that same email. So john at doctor.com, but it's HIPAA compliant. And what these ones are really good for is if you like electronic forms. If you have an electronic form on your website, remember that patient information needs to remain secure and HIPAA compliant. So a HIPAA compliant email is required for this type of service. Somebody fills out the information on the website and now it submits into your secure HIPAA compliant email. So those secure forms and emails go hand in hand together. Good point. We always need to keep HIPAA in mind. And speaking of forms, can I have an e-signature for consent forms and other documents? Yeah, absolutely. So secure forms uh, could be done in a few different ways and e-signature can be included in that. So whether it's a form that submits through a HIPAA compliant email service, right? So you fill out that form on the website and then you receive an email with those documents and a fillable electronic signature is right on the bottom of that. In the other case, a lot of practices use practice management systems or EHRs. And again, that's a practice management system known as PMS and EHR stands for Electronic Health Record System, okay? So whatever system you're using in your office can have a portal link. So on the website, you can have a button, call to action button, that says, 
uh, patient forms or portal link, access to patient portal, anything like that. And what would happen is it actually opens up that PMS or EHR system and people can fill out their forms inside of that system. But again, how they initially accessed that platform was from your website. Sean, let's talk about domains now. Should I choose my domain name before I'm in practice or wait until I know geographically where I will practice? Yeah, absolutely, Beverly. So when it comes to domain names, things have changed over the years. Uh, so one big piece with domain name is going to be not necessarily the name of the domain, but how you're choosing that name. And what I mean by that is there's a few guidelines to stay by. You want to try and keep your domain name as easy to spell as possible. Uh, you have to remember that even still today, there are word of mouth referrals. So if somebody refers over your website, they're going to generally say the doctor's name or the domain name. And you want to make sure that domain is easy to spell. On the other end, length is a very big consideration, especially when it comes to Google evaluating the website, is you want to keep the domain name under 20 characters long. And the reason for that is Google will actually evaluate the domain name as part of the SEO or search engine optimization inside of the website in terms of how long or the length of those characters of a domain name. So under 20 characters. And then lastly is going to be clarity or practice alignment in terms of that domain name. Make the domain name that has some sort of relation to the business, whether it's in relation to the provider's name or the actual practice name. That is always a good idea as well. It just keeps cohesion as well as branding. So those are the three big ones when it comes to a domain name. Under 20 characters, easy to spell, and then again, aligned with the practice name or the doctor name. Those are great tips. Another question frequently asked is for my education or resource section. Should I use my staff for instructional videos or paid for hire instructors? Yeah, absolutely. This is a great question. And the reason that people are looking to add this type of content to a website is because it is a really good, again, resource section. It also helps with your SEO, your search engine optimization. So you can really go either direction with this. Both are really valuable assets to put on your website. Here's the kind of benefit of each. A staff video or somebody in the office doing the legwork on that, it has one main benefit and it's going to be the cost efficiency. It is going to be cheaper for you to utilize an internal resource than it is to hire third-party instructors or whomever you may contract to come in and create that educational material. Now, on the other end, if you do hire it, it's going to be maybe more professional information or structured information that comes in through a service. So if you can find some service that is professionally staffed to handle any medical information or resource tools, it may be a good option for you as well. But again, you will pay for that. So there's valuable pieces to going either direction, but both are going to be very valuable for your website, either way you choose to go. How do I ensure that my site is secure so my patients are able to make payments online? Yeah, Beverly. So this is going to be a piece that is generally built with inside of a website and how the website is being hosted. So one way to tell is at the top of your screen, before the domain name, you'll see that it sometimes says HTTPS. If it says HTTPS, that means you are on a secure platform. The website service system that's being hosted on is secure and your domain is secure. It's known as what's called SSL encryption. SSL encryption is going to be what physically secures a domain name. 
and makes the platform you're on secure. The easiest way to tell if you have this on your website is at the top of the screen where you enter a URL or a domain name is right before that domain name, you're gonna see a padlock. If the padlock is locked and you hover over it, it'll actually tell you that it is a secure website. If you have a padlock that's unlocked, sometimes it'll show as red depending on the browser you're on, but just an unlocked padlock means you're on an unsecure browser. A lot of times it'll actually literally say unsecure right next to the padlock. I have another question. If I have products or supplies that can be purchased online, will that require a separate payment system from medical visit payments or do my patients have to provide bank information twice? So this works in a few different ways and it depends on how your business is structured. So if you are again using an EHR or a PMS, so practice management system, electronic health record system for collecting patient payments, you typically will have a different source to sell products on because the products will be connected through what's known as an e-store or e-commerce portion. And in that format, it's actually listed out on the website, not inside of the practice management system. So a lot of times you will have two different payment systems for those features because again, um, the two work in different formats. Your patient payments a lot of times can have maybe a copay with insurances or different scenarios and you'll utilize your practice management system for that. Whereas an e-store, you're simply selling a product and you'll need to calculate taxes for that. You'll need to calculate shipping. Uh, so you'll you look to utilize an e-commerce or e-store platform for a product-based sale for supplies rather than a patient payment system. That's a good point. Let's switch gears now. A lot of practices have multiple locations. So let's say I have three locations. Do I need a different website for each location? So in this scenario, what happens is it really depends on the structure of the business. If it's the same business and you're providing the same services in all three locations, you can absolutely do one website. The one website is going to be providing the same information in regards to services rendered rather than there being three different businesses, right? So let's say it's one ownership group and they have a dermatology office, a pediatrics office, and a chiropractic office. If that was the case, you would be looking at three different websites because the way search engines work in Google in particular is they need to decipher the services being provided from that website to determine where to rank you on a search, right? So a pediatrics office is not going to rank under a chiropractic office, you know? So when it comes to the websites, if you're providing different types of services, you're going to be looking at three different websites. But if you're looking at three locations for one office that provides all of the same services at three locations, one website is absolutely suitable. I have a couple of questions on keeping my website current. First, who keeps my website current with up-to-date information? And will this be added responsibility for my staff? Yeah, Beverly, so this is going to be kind of a dual area here, and it depends on the website provider who you are with, um, but some website companies will provide what's a blogging service, and a blogging service is going to be, again, one of the best ways to keep frequent information added to your website, and that works in two different ways. If you actually have a website company who's providing the blogging service to you, what happens is they are physically the ones actually posting the information and doing the research to find it online. So no legwork for the office. On the other end, if you have somebody in your office who is capable, absolutely being able to add your own information to the website uh, is just as useful as having a company do it for you. Um, so you can go either way. If the company is looking to provide that service for you, taking some of the uh, 
the work away from you. That makes it a little bit better on your time consumption. Absolutely a great opportunity. But again, we'll go back to cost efficiency. So if somebody is able and willing to do it in the office, it's going to help you save some money. My second question is, how much time should one expect to spend keeping their website updated? Yeah, so this will really determine on the website provider whom you are with. Let's say you utilize a DIY site, right? So these are going to be ones who provide pre-built templates and you go in and you put your own information on. All the updates and responsibility are going to belong to the doctor's office because you don't actually have what's known as a web service. You just have a website. On the other end, there are all-inclusive services. This is going to be a service, again, where you can hire a blogging service. You can hire them to help you with your search engine optimization or just your average updates on a website, maybe adding pictures, things like that. Uh, So an all-inclusive service, although this will be a little bit more expensive than a DIY or build your own website, will do a lot of the updating or upkeep for you. John, we've talked a lot about what should be on a website, but how can I demonstrate credibility? When it comes to credibility, the first step really is a website. Nowadays, when people are looking for a service, the first thing they do is they go and look up that business. And when they go and look up that business, if they don't have a website, right off the bat, it lacks some credibility. Everybody has a website nowadays because the website is there to actually highlight your business and your credentials. So as a provider or physician's office where there's multiple physicians, make sure you have everybody's info on there. Uh, Provide their bio, their previous experience, items that actually show credibility to the potential clients who are coming to see these providers. Um, On the website, publish your medical practices mission statement. What are your goals in the office? Um, On the other end, turn around and give some educational value. So a website has the ability to house all these different aspects of information So doctor's bios, the practices, overall views and goals, uh, patient education, all of these different things are going to show credibility to somebody who is coming to find information about your practice. That's good information, John. This helps show how a robust website can be a great tool for patient engagement. So how can I make my website user-friendly for other doctors who might want to refer to me? Yeah, absolutely, Beverly. So a really good way to do this is going to be information that gets posted on the website. Um, And it can be something that's posted on there that says in regards to helping coordinate efforts for patient appointments. It could be also a referral message on the website. So you'll see these nowadays, a pop-up message pops on in regards to a a referral service um, in another direction if it's not a specialty that one office handles or a link on a website that'll point you in a direction to a referral. These are all great ways on a website um, that'll help referrals go from one place to another. We're getting close to the end of our time here. Thank you very much for all that you have shared. But before I let you go, what is the biggest takeaway doctors should leave with today? Yeah, Beverly, and I appreciate you having me here. Three big things, any takeaway from this information would be is number one is the functionality of a website. Again, nowadays with everybody having a computer in a pocket, which is their cell phone, your website needs to work on a cell phone. So mobile responsibility, so the layout and functionality in which a way a website is used on a mobile device is by far the most important piece of websites with today's generation using uh, a cell phone as a computer, right? Um, Number two is going to be the information you're providing on it. 
So this will be educational value. Uh, this will be credibility. This is going to be the contact information for that business. Uh, so really big pieces of info on the website. And then lastly is going to be how easily the website's able to use. So like I mentioned earlier, maybe a call to action button, buttons that connect you to your EHR, your practice management tool. Very easy to use layout and structure of that site. These are going to be the three big takeaways. So again, mobile responsiveness, uh, information that provides people access to reach you guys, and then layout and functionality, ease of use of that website. Thanks again, John. I look forward to having you back for part two, where we'll discuss using your website to market your practice. To our listeners, we hope you found this episode beneficial. You can find additional programs with practical information and claim CME for today's episode in the TMA Education Center. A link is provided in the episode description. To receive more helpful tips, remember to like and follow the TMA Practice Well podcast. Until next time, stay well.